Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I'm your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to horror on the Orient Express and our travels to Constantinople. And so at the top of the show, what we'd like to do as always is thank you, the listener, and especially thank you, the patron supporter. I'm certain several of our player characters tonight will be thanking their patron backers. Uh, if you'd like to join the show on the patron side, you can at patreon.com slash the old ways podcast. You can also join us over on YouTube uh, at the old ways podcast where we're putting up videos of live play sessions and Q and A's and all sorts of fun that we're having along the way. And now I will uh, let the cast go through introductions to my right. Hi, this is Mike and I play James Robert Fraser and ouch. <laughs> yes. Big toothy bite last game session, but uh, the um, healing power of the Lord seems to be with you. And to Mr. Fraser's right. Hi, I'm Rena. I play Lady Elizabeth Fitzroy, and uh, I saved Mr. Fraser for once. I know. Wasn't that fantastic? You actually, with uh, with an amazing role, managed to pull off the, uh, the tiger just a bit uh, at the end of the table. Hi, this is Giles, and I'm playing Simon Griffith, and... Oh no, Simon has shot the professor accidentally two or three times. Yep, that's right. Get ready to reload. So to Mr. Griffiths, right? Hi, this is Miranda and I play Maggie Bellinger. And finally, I think everything's coming up, Maggie. You're playfully just enjoying yourself. I can imagine her heels clicking back and forth here, sort of on the bench back and forth as you go through your and, you know, whatever knitting or perhaps crochet pattern that you have while all of the chaos goes on around you. It's a, it's a beautiful picture. We'll see how long it lasts. And last but most certainly not least. I'm Martin and I'm playing Richard Courtney. And uh, it's not chaos you're looking for, it's carnage. Well, Professor, carnage is here. So when we last left our investigators, there were some kerfuffle, let's say, chaos on the train. It seems the Comte not only managed to get into the train, but then through some chicanery, some elder magic, was able to polymorph himself into a massive tiger. He attacked Mr. Fraser and nearly sucked him dry. Luckily, though, with the aid of Lupara and a rather surprisingly strong Lady Elizabeth, were able to temporarily deal with the Comte while the Lupara went to work, creating a mist of sorts, which loaded out the open window in a rapid fashion. Now, the party can turn their attention to the other portions of chaos that are going on, which we will begin at center with Professor Richard Courtney, who, as of last session, was wearing the device again and calling to the spirits, the dead spirits here on the Orient Express to help deal with this terrifying creature that had come on board. These spirits, Richard, seem to lose their way. The target that you gave them, that you implored they help you with, seems to be missing. That creature at the end of this passageway, however does not appear missing at all. And you watch there through the goggles who grant you this glorious vision of it consuming one of these dead spirits. It opens up its maw to an incredible height and chomps down. And you hear just the slightest scream before the spirit's extinguished. And I'm going to ask you to make me a sanity roll as the revelation becomes that much more real to you. That's a 27, which is a success. Good. Don't, you've already lost 
five sanity today and you haven't had a chance to sleep yet, means you uh, are likely bordering on indefinite insanity. So just in this moment that you'll share here with this spirit and this creature, what's the professor's reaction to something like this? I think he's confused. He was really hoping that the use of the device this time was gonna gonna help him. He thought he'd discovered something that it could do. Um, well, I mean, he had previously, or that uh, this time he'd be able to use what he discovered to uh, to sort of help him on his way. And that doesn't seem to be the case. And he's no idea what this big blue thing is. I mean, he just summoned some spirits from the dead, and this thing's cropped up. He's confused. He doesn't doesn't really know why why this is happening not going to plan. It is not going to plan, that is certain. So, Mr. Griffith, given that you're there in the hallway and have your senses about you, at least returning now, I think it's reasonable to give you a listen roll to see if you can hear something, at least over the screaming. 40 under 52. You hear what sounds like the snap of jaws a very bone-on-bone snap. And there's almost this extra edge of something metallic. Maybe it was a train wheel, but it, it sort of pulls your head with that sound. And there in the hallway, not but 10 to 15 feet from you, is a contradiction walking down the hallway. It is this geometrically affected this irrationally mathematical creation formed into what looks like a dog. Sand check? Yeah, you bet. That is a 61 under 63. I pass. You are very lucky. All right, so I will roll a d3 rather than a d20 for your sand loss. And that's two. I'm going to assume you would have told me otherwise that my knowledge of spirits, this would not fall into anything that I've ever heard of from Granny before. You know what? Actually, I, I think it's reasonable to say in the Appalachian history that there are likely tales of spirits, haints embodying dogs, wolves, all sorts of things like that. You could correlate it very easily to something like that. Okay, would you want me to roll or you're just going to say... Um, that that would fit because there is of course the black shuck from Welsh legend and Simon is of Welsh descent yeah I, I think I think that is reasonable and Simon's knowledge of the dogs is usually a, an ill omen and is there anyone else in the hall um, yes the professor and something else like looking forward towards this dog you you see that there's something wavering here amongst you it's like the air is thick it ripples would that be a spirit or a roll absolutely well i'm not spending luck on that that's a 78 that's well over my 13 you think there might be spirit activity here you don't know what that dog wants but it does not look friendly the dog is a symbol of ill omen. There is a haze in the air in the car right now. So does Simon recall shooting the professor while he was under the influence or is that a bl blank? No, I'm going to say that you probably remember doing it. Knowing this and knowing that I'm also at fault for the professor's current condition, can I grab him and try and run the other way with my strength? Obviously, it'll, it'll be a, a slight hitch to my running because of my leg. Yeah, I think it's perfectly reasonable for you to try to flee. All right, I'm going to grab the professor by the back of, well, depending upon how, how it is, either his belt or his coat. And that's a 13 under 80 for strength. I think unless the professor says, as, as I would normally do, unless the professor says that he is resisting, you have no problem picking him up. I mean, he's not like, he doesn't weigh more than like a laundry sack that's a little wet. So... He, he's a duffel bag over my shoulder. Right, exactly. So yeah, um, you grab him and begin to run, and that is when you hear this thing howl. 
everybody hears that. And the person closest to this thing howling is you, Miss Bellinger. The howl rattles the sleeper cabin doors. And it is not good. And it scares the shit out of you. Ooh. Uh, Maggie will do the dumb thing and investigate the noise as is as, as always the case. Okay. You're going to slide open the door? And peek out. Just peek. You peek out. Just peek. And you see this. Imagine a child's drawing of a dog, a big furry dog, and from like first or second grade with construction paper. It's come to life and all of the bad angles are the backdrop and it moves in three-dimensional space. It moves its head towards you and you see just a litany of light, blue light emanate from its head. You see an inner glow to that light focus and it becomes eyes. Like it bleed, the color bleeds down into eyeballs and you make a sandy roll. That's fun. These damn entitled assholes always sneaking their pets onto trains and planes and shit. <laughs> I rolled a one. Very good. Take five points of luck immediately. And on a one, normally it's a D3 sanity loss, but I'm going to remove that sanity loss because it's a critical success. It seems only fair. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's what you see. Um, it looks like a uh, some kind of dog. I slam the door back shut. Okay. I start kind of like breathing heavily, maybe my hands on my knees a little bit. Like, what What have I done? Like, what What did I unleash upon this train? I thought maybe it would be over quick and it doesn't seem like it's going to be over quick uh, anymore. Yeah, it, I think it, it's reasonable to say that you may feel some sort of... A little guilt. Maybe guilt. A little bit. Maybe you've caused this. Mm-hmm. But I'll leave you there uh, for just a moment um, because I'm going to spin all the way down to uh, Lady Elizabeth's cabin where Mr. Fraser and Paul are getting to their feet having heard this howl. Oh, yes, that. Uh, there's some kind of strange spiritual dog outside. Don't look at it. It's quite terrifying. I was a little preoccupied at, at the time. I will tell you this, James. Paul alleviates any of his former charade as far as his speech charade would go and he turns to you and says if he can change himself he must be close to his his place of rest and uh if we if we destroy that I mean like a a, a a crate or a coffin or something he'd be forced to stay in physical form and can be killed well that's what we must do we need to get to the furloin that's the only place he could keep a coffin I I you think this this Dog, you say, outside? Do you think that's that's him again? Is he taking another form? I saw it before he disappeared from here. It's definitely something else. Oh, dear Lord. You think that the stake you have, you think that'll that'll work? That'll dispatch him? It's all a process. The, the process is, is a three-part process. We stake him in the heart. He sort of stabs in the middle of his chest to immobilize him. We pour holy water in his mouth and cut his head off. You have enough holy water now still. Got another vial. Right, one chance then. One chance only. Well, whatever's out there, uh, your ladyship, we can't stay here. No, I rather think we should uh, look in on Miss Bellinger. You can hear the footsteps, Simon's footsteps, given how heavy they are, barreling down away from you. We'll need to try and keep the other passengers in their compartments uh, They'll get on, uh, in our way or they'll get themselves hurt. Well, perhaps we should start moving away from this place then. Aye. Right, now, if I'm correct, the furloin is that way. And I'll point the direction that I reckon the furloin's in. Yeah. So on a train like this, there would not be one furloin, but there would be two. Because there are some passengers who would keep their, their steamer trunks towards the front of the train and there would be some that would keep them in the back because there are so many passengers have you had anything to do with the arrangements of uh, the transportation of uh, whatever he's using to rest in never never so he has others 
working on his behalf, purchasing tickets and that, or does he does he do so himself? No, he likely hypnotizes people to purchase his tickets for him, hypnotizes caregivers to make sure that he can get aboard these trains in any manner of disguises. He's been at this a long time, and it ends tonight. Well, we should get moving then. That we should. Have you any more of those? And can gestures towards the stake? I do. He takes out another one from his coat and hands it to you. Grab hold of it. Strike hard and true. His body is stronger than it looks. Aye, well, that, that bite of that creature, whatever it was, that, that, that's weakened me. I can feel it. feel the, the life drain out of me when it bit me. All right. Let me ask you, Mr. Griffith, where are you going with the professor? Literally just the opposite direction of the dog, please. Seems totally reasonable to me. Just the other way, if there's a door in front of me to the next car, through that. I, I'm going to mind that I don't knock the professor's head against any door jams, but I'm not worried about his feet. Okay. So then Paul and Mr. Fraser and Lady Elizabeth, I'm going to give you an intelligence roll. Because I think this is sort of the way I want to play this. It's it's not a listen roll as much as it is a mental perception of it. Just to wait for a moment. We think the corridor's clear to go down, yeah? Yeah, kind of. So Paul's past his... Okay, I'll roll mine. That is a... Extreme. Good. 22 under 65. So you pause just for a second, and you hear another series of thumps in the hallway. And it's at that point that the three of you sort of turn towards the open window just for a half second, and you can see out of the corner of your eye a blue streak pass through the hallway. Was that it, your ladyship? It looks about the same. It's moving much faster. It's very hard to tell, but don't look directly at it, Fraser. You all hear a scream, a woman's scream, and then a man call out, Oh, God! I have to help them. Which do we think is the the closer, the front or the back? The front is closer, for sure. Right, well, let's move as quickly as we can. It'll take us a little longer than it will you. If it's not there, help the people, if you can. Paul hustles out into the corridor and looks at you know, sort of what's been left of it and then heads up the way a little bit. And you see with the stake, he taps on the on the door where Maggie's compartment is. That's something you you hear immediately, Miss Bellinger, very strong knock. Maggie jumps, startles a little bit. Uh, yes, uh, hello. Are you all right in there, Miss Bellinger? You actually don't recognize the voice. Who is that? Yes, I'm fine. I will go. I'll go and open up the door. You see Paul standing in front of the door. Oh, Paul, yes, I'm fine. Of course, I'm fine. Is everyone else alive? You see him break eye contact with you and he starts looking around the inside of the compartment. Why is your window open? Because it was quite stuffy in here and I needed... But it was... I wanted some fresh air. Make me a fast talk roll. Okay. (laughs) I rolled a 14 and a 24. So let's see what my fast talk is. It's five. So yeah, we'll just um, I, you can take her. You can you can make up whatever horrible attempt at fast talk you'd like. Paul, I don't know. Look, I, I it was stuffy in here, and I I there was a it, I thought opening the window would be a nice breeze. It let the, some air in. I could barely breathe in here. You see his face very slowly start to sour, and he says, "You're a liar, and people are dead because of it." Stay in your compartment. He pushes himself away from your door and then towards the front of the train. Yeah, he crosses her arms in a pout like a child. Seems good. All right, so uh, Simon, let's pick this chase, if we will, up. You and the professor versus a little dog. You hear not only not only that, obviously, but you hear also the people behind you screaming for their life. You hear growling, you hear biting, Tearing and all sorts of really uncomfortable non-human sounds. Is the professor awake? Yeah, he seems to be. I smack him gently on the face. 
to get his attention because he's wearing his device. Mm -hmm. Does the professor actually turn his head or is he still just gazing off into La La Land? I don't know. Professor, what are you doing? Uh, Yes. What what do you want? There's some kind of spectral dog chasing us. I I know. The blue one. I, I don't know where it came from. It wants to eat me. I think it wants to eat me. Or maybe it wants to eat both of us. Um, oh, I need to think of a way of getting rid of this thing. Can you take the device off? I, is that causing it? I don't think so. I, I Let me try and push it away. Uh, all right. But uh, I, I'm going to stand you up. But I'm going to be ready to run. Your belt's right there. I can get you. Yes, just I, I just want to try one, 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 one more thing. And Richard's going to try and... There's one of two things he wants to try. He's probably not going to get away with trying both of them. He's imagining him and Simon in a carriage, sort of two carriages down, further down the train. So he wants to... I like, I like way back in Paris, he was able to kind of project a, uh, almost like an image of himself to be able to see uh, into the basement, into the cellar. You'd like to be able to project you and Simon down into a couple cars. Yeah. You'd like to shatter completely the laws of physics and teleport yourself. Yes, that's a better way of putting it. Teleport, yes. He, he, he thinks he can do that with the, the new lens. Do you? That's what he thinks. Okay, Professor. Simon has a, a hold of you and you're going to attempt to utilize this device, yes? Yes. Okay. So make me a power roll. Ooh, 16. That's that's really good. Very good. Simon, now you make me a power roll. That was an extreme, by the way. It's good to know. Especially given that the power is contested between you and Simon. 45 under 65. Okay, so that's a success for you, Mr. Griffith. That is an extreme success for you. Professor's able to utilize the device in a way that he was not expecting. So I'm going to roll a d10. And that's an 8. So, Simon, this action is going to cost you eight magic points as um, the professor is going to utilize your body as a battery because he doesn't have enough magic points to do it himself. Fortunately, that is a resource Simon has not had to utilize all campaign because of his skills or lack thereof. Okay, so um, how many magic points do you have? I had 13. I'm now down to five. Very, very good. Okay. Professor, you're able to see a seam in reality. And you're able to utilize that seam to push apart existence as it is presented to you and to Simon. Um, something that you have seen before. So it's not something that you would take any sort of sand loss from. But of course, Simon, who has never seen anything like this or experienced it, will bear the weight and brunt of this sanity loss. So if you would roll sanity for me, Simon, as reality shreds itself in front of you. Well, Simon rolled a 54 under 61 now since it dropped two points from seeing the puppy. Mm -hmm. So he passed his sand check, but he is, depending upon how much you strip from him, let's find out. Mm. Sounds very interesting. So for a past roll, a roll which is successful, it's a D6. And that's a six. Well, that's a temp insanity. Well, you, you're going to have to make an intelligence roll because you'll have, you, you'll have a bout most likely, or at least possibly. Now, since this is my first one, do I gain five points of Cthulhu Mythos? Yep, you bet. So this is a 70 under 80. So I pass my intelligence check. Congratulations. So I will mark myself down for five Cthulhu Mythos. Mm-hmm. So tell me, what is the form of this temporary insanity? Do I toss the professor out the car? Well, you are fortunate, Simon, that this is uh, in the presence of another Call of Cthulhu investigator, because that means it's in real time. Solo bouts are not great. Oh, that is very, very interesting. Okay, we'll play it as it lies. I. I like to play the dice as they go. And I'm going to give Simon a new mania, which will take effect immediately. Best of luck, everyone. You'll add that new mania to your sheet, and we will begin play from there. 
So, Simon, coming out of this, well, this bend, this misshapen portion of reality, what comes very strongly with it is a sense that reality in and of itself is, as presented, is a farce. And the only way of dealing with that farce that is reality is to burn everything down around it. Because it's these vestiges, these panels, this train, these people, they're all in the way of you seeing what truly exists beyond that, which is this sort of woven state that exists behind the realms of reality. You're going to be in that bout for nine rounds. And uh, with that mania triggered, you know exactly what you'll need to do. That being said, Mr. Fraser and Lady Elizabeth, uh, you were heading down the passageway in an attempt to get to the furloin at the back in hopes of finding the resting place of this comp. Absolutely. Have we at any stage during our travels on the train noticed whether there's something like a, a fire axe or, or anything like that? Or would, would that be less likely to be on kind of public display? Would that be more, more, more even if they had something of that kind? I don't believe there would be any sort of fire axes on public display. The closest place you're going to find an axe would be like the coal car. And that might not even be an axe. It might be a shovel or something like that. I'm basically looking for anything that's kind of, you know, hefty enough to be able to smash what is possibly like a packing crate or, or something like that or some sort of uh, container to bits, assuming it's assuming it's wooden. So I guess we'll, we'll, we'll find out possibly one of these large kind of luggage uh, trunks. Yeah, I can even see like a pick, like a mining pick. Anything that I can use to, to smash something up because doing it with my bare hands is, is not going to work. But thinking all these thoughts as we kind of hair down the down the carriages as fast as we can. The both of you have seen in this part of your life, you've seen the unfortunate, the dead, those who have passed, especially in places like Venice, where you were exposed to bodies left into the street and, and wasting away um, some very unfortunate experiences. The train has become its own horror. There are people now in the hallways who are bleeding out. Some of them have had their throats ripped out. Others are covered in this very strange ichor. It's a coating on their bodies. Even others who are, they look like they've become almost dried in their in their death as if something has been sucked out completely from them their veins have come completely to the surface and it truly is like stepping over and wading through yeah, I've seen men die on the battlefield but I've never seen anything like this before I'm, I'm kind of guessing that this this desiccation this disembowelment is sanity rolling territory it probably is yeah it might be a uh, I would just say it's likely a light sanity loss compared to some of the other stuff that's been thrown around tonight but this is something you you really have to stomach to get through yeah I'm trying to avoid looking at it but it's impossible really I guess I rolled a zero three I'm fine with it Lady Elizabeth go ahead I failed with a 68 over 62 okay so that's a point of sanity that I'll take from you. It doesn't prevent you from moving, but it, obviously there will be a mental and sort of emotional reaction from from the character. For you, it, Fraser, it isn't about that you're fine with it. It is that you are maintaining focus on the thing which needs to be dealt with. Absolutely. I think I'm reverting to training you know, during the conflict, during the Great War, where you've got a job to do and if your concentration wavers from the job, the job doesn't get done and people die. So whether you like it or not, you've just got to focus on one thing and one thing only. Okay. For you, Lady Elizabeth, the tougher parts of this is seeing people's lives ripped apart, sometimes quite literally, but it doesn't really get into your heart until the pair of people here in one of the compartments who are were very much full of life, likely on their first trip to Constantinople, and they're not coming back. It's the young people that are the toughest to deal with. Let's go, Fraser, please. I keep moving. Don't look. Don't think. 
Just focus on what we've got to do. I know it's hard, but I know you can do it as well. And we just keep moving. You just keep moving. Yeah, down the corridor, open the door into the next carriage, down the corridor, open the door into the next carriage until we get to where we're going. I think if Fraser looked back, he'd see there's actual kind of welling up, almost tears, not quite crying, but just sort of because I've seen death before, but not like this. Mm. Yeah. And not so much all at once and so many younger people probably around my age. And it's just, it's hard to go, but I follow him anyway. I think if I see any hesitation, any fear, any possible uh, second thoughts about going where we're going, I'll reach out my hand for her to take hold of if she wishes to, just for something to focus. And then we'll go down together. The first passenger compartment past the ones you were staying in is the worst. It has had sort of the most direct damage done to it. Even the porters and the staff of the Orient Express have not been spared. Um, you can see here at the at the end when you're changing from train car to train car, one of the staff here was seemingly sitting in a chair at the end of the hallway as they normally do to, to monitor what goes on on the train and, and help anybody that might need, any passengers that might need assistance. The paper here from Sophia is slack in his hands. His Orient Express hat has been removed along with his head. His eyes stare blankly up at the roof of the compartment. Does he have keys on him? He does. I'm going to grab them. It takes a force of will to, to touch his body, but you do so. Yeah, I'm really kind of gritting my teeth and stealing myself for it. Maggie, the compartment you're in now is oddly silent. Mm-hmm. People have gone away. Yeah. Maggie would like arms crossed kind of pouty after this interaction with Paul pacing back and forth in her compartment and muttering uh, to herself. Eventually, it, it wouldn't take long. The, the pacing back and forth in the cart can only go on for so long before she needs to go out and see what happened. And so she will leave her compartment and... I guess wander the train trying to see what the fate of her friends has been. Okay, so simple decision for you is left or right, Miss Ballinger? Uh, left. Okay. You head towards the back of the train. As you do so, you begin to uncover many people who were. Not people who are or who will be, but who were. You do this slowly, difficultly, because every one of them, in a way, has been touched by you. In a way. But we'll put you on that path. Back to the professor and Simon. Um, professor, you unfold yourself and your battery from the seam in the wall. And you find yourself multiple compartments ahead. This treasure, this amazing machine has saved you. The pallor, though, on your friend, Simon, has changed terribly so. Large, purple blotches have appeared on his skin. They almost look like liver stains. He doesn't look well. And, and for you, Mr. Griffith, you know what must be done. Can you describe the uh, car that we're in and the materials? Yeah, certainly. You are in a uh, passenger car. You see two figures, one at each end of the compartment. One seems to be holding a shotgun. He's dressed in the uniform of the Orient Express. There's another one back the way you came. And he seems to be looking out like a, a window into the compartment ahead. That's what you see. This is a passenger compartment. So there are four to five different uh, sleeping berths and um, places you could go. Oak paneling? Oh, certainly. Uh, carpeting? Of course. Only the best. Does the... Um, are, are there any lights in this car? Are, would these be gas? No, they're electric lights. Electric lights. 
Would Simon have any of his uh, tools with him? Do you want me to make a luck roll or anything? See if he has any of his like flint and steel or things like that. I don't know if he had flint and steel. You, I don't know if, if Simon kept a lighter at all. He didn't smoke. So yeah, probably not. But your knife, the knife that you'd picked up, would be reasonable enough to cut into the wall and get to the bare wires. And you could easily make a spark with the bare wires once you pulled them from the wall. That wouldn't be too hard. Professor? I... Fascinating. We actually moved through space. Uh, You wouldn't happen to have a ladder or something on you for your pipe? Um, I... Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Imagine if we could travel in time as well. You, You mind if I borrow that? Um, uh, y- yes, what, whatever. Um, yeah, uh, the possibilities are endless. I- I'm assuming the professor is just absentmindedly handing the lighter over to Simon? Yep, that's exactly what's happening. Thank you, sir. Um, We've made a fascinating discovery. And you were one of the first to to, 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 to be on that journey with me. We're, we're, we're going to be famous. This is going to be the, uh, the, the Courtney Corridor. Yes, yes. Uh, pardon me for a minute. Simon gets down on his hands and knees and... Professor, why don't you see what the gentleman over there is looking up at? Out the, uh, you know, out the window there? M- maybe he's he's tracking that hellhound that's coming after us. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, yes, yes, of course. Uh, uh, Richard will take the device off at this point. Okay. You disengage from the device and when you do the, the world spins... I want you to make a, a hard constitution roll. Oh dear. Richard's con's not terrible. Zero eight. Extreme success. Good, good. You stay engaged. So, because it's your first real bout here, Simon, I am going to give you an insane talent because it seems only fair. All right, Professor. While the um, while Simon continues to sort of fiddle a bit with your lighter, where are you headed, knowing that you're still being chased? Does Richard get the impression he's being chased? You got the impression before that you were being chased. You don't think that that has stopped. Okay. He's going to go up to where this person's looking out the window mm-hmm. and see if he can see anything. You walk back the way you came a little bit and you get next to this gentleman and he looks down at you and says get back to get back to your room sir this is something terrible is happening what what, what's outside what are you looking at he looks up i can't explain it you watch his complexion change his eyes get really wide his entire face elongates a little too a little too much and then he begins this hideous shrieking at the top of his lungs. He doesn't stop. Uh, Simon, this gentleman seems to be... And Richard will sort of back off. I, I don't know what's going on. And he's going to just move down the corridor. Not really breaking eye contact with, with this person. Simon's checking to see if one of the compartments is open. And also the stability of the uh, electric lights. Yeah, there's a compartment open. Uh, he opens the door and looks in. Is there any people? This one does not have people in it currently. But there's a mattress and stuff. There's even a, a trunk here. So someone's staying in here. They're just not here right now. Is the trunk locked? Nope. Flips it open. Does a quick paw through. Eh, close. Some general effects. Bottle of whiskey. Ah. He takes out the whiskey, he takes out some of the clothes, starts dumping them on the bed. Can I use my insane talent to see if I could think of constructing this with the whiskey and flammable materials and electricity if I rip one of the sockets out of the walls? Yeah, there's not a socket on the wall. You'd have to rip the overhead light out. That's fine. There's the lamps on the wall out in the corridor, too, but either way. You could definitely get things started that way. Oh, yes, we're definitely getting things started. 
but he's definitely going to prep stuff. So should I start something on fire now? I think I should. Then you should. All right. He does. Professor, you you approach the, the area where Simon was. He heads into a compartment. You see him open a window and he pulls open somebody's trunk and grabs around inside of it. And you see him produce a bottle of whiskey. And then he opens the whiskey up and begins dumping it all over the clothes in here. Uh, Simon, I, I think we should go. Uh, you, you can go, Professor. I'm I'm prepping things to stop that dog. So I'm figuring that dog of um, the hate dog should be scared of fire. So I've got this right here, and I'm going to use this to just make sure this whole carriage here will be a wall of fire to prevent the dog from coming further down the train. I think that's an excellent idea. Right, I, 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 I'll continue. Um, catch up when you when you can. Uh, I mean, this is the only way. I mean, if we separate the material here on this car, then the the dog won't have any material to travel through, and therefore, it'll it'll be a blank, and it cannot move further. I, I think fire is an excellent idea. Stop talking and get on with it. All right. We'll get people out of here. It's, it's going to get hot pretty fast. I, yes, right, right. Um, uh, come on. And he just gestures. You hustle out, Professor, towards the gentleman with the shotgun, who tells you to uh, hustle up and get into this compartment. Uh, you know, there's there's terrible things headed down that way, and he's he's trying to get you into the compartment that he seems to be guarding. No, no, no. We, we, we must um, continue further down the train. It's, there's something coming from behind. His eyes sort of perk up and he levels the shotgun down the passenger hallway and says, you go on, sir. I'll, I'll take care of it. Um, you should you should follow me. I'm, uh, I very much doubt whether that'll do anything, but... Uh... Okay. But you're going to continue on? Mm, yep. Okay, very good. You continue on. Simon, you begin the fire. And with the whiskey's help, it really gets going. That's the best part of uh, alcohol. It, it can sort of kickstart a fire real well. I mean, Simon doesn't drink, but he definitely knows benefits of it. Oh, certainly. Certainly. You've probably seen alcohol start a few fires in your in your days, I'd imagine. Uh, maybe even seen them used as some um, improvised explosive devices, too. Well, and also, I don't know how... I can't even count the number of stills that have accidentally exploded in the backwoods. Oh, certainly. Um, but you are living your best life at this point. The compartment is on fire. The carpet and the wood on the walls is beginning to catch. And this is one of many compartments you were thinking that will that will burn. Oh, yes. This will be magnificent. You step back out into the passageway as to not get burned yourself. Um, because you have more burning to do, of course. And you come face to face with this beast. It's not far from you now. You see it fold itself out of the wall paneling. In just the slightest of corner, it begins to pour itself out. Simon is going to be or backing away from it. Train God! Train God! Simon's going to do is he's going to be pouring the whiskey all over the carpet in the hallway that's left and throw the lighter down on it. And then he's going to run because, well, he's going to move to the back of the car just for the simple fact he's not dumb enough to stick his hands into the fire. I mean, he wants to purge, but he's not wanting to kill himself in that way. But he definitely wants to see the effects of the fire on the thing. If, if it does stop it like he thinks and that might get the guardsman's attention too the one with the shotgun when simon goes back to him and go hey check this out <laughs> you definitely get his attention he wants to know what the hell you're doing and you can see him looking beyond you where the smoke is beginning to roil out of this compartment as he looks past you of course he is going to have to make a sand roll because that hound sits not but 20 feet down the the hallway there. Yep, that's not good. So the train guard has a very, very bad day. He collapses on his knees, holding his face. He reaches as far as he can into his own ocular cavities with his fingers to rip his eyes out. He does this in front of you. But 
you're not so much concerned with him at this point now. He's going to find that reality wasn't real anyway, just like you have. Exactly. And and honestly, he's missing the best pot. So I'm going to, since he's got his hands in his eyeballs, I'm picking up his shotgun. Yeah, you pick up his shotgun. This seems like a reasonable tool. And the hound comes after you. I think the best way to play this for us is for Simon having picked up the shotgun. I'm going to, I don't want to assume that he's going to use it, but it would give him the benefit of, of initiative if he does. Well, is the fire doing anything to stop the hound? I'd say it probably slows it. Like the attack it's going to make on you is not a melee attack because it can't get to you at the moment. It's going to attempt to hit you with its tongue. Okay. But if you're going to utilize the shotgun against it, you'd end up going before it does. Up to you. Uh, Simon is going to run holding the shotgun and hope that the thing hits the guard instead. At this point, besides, he has another carriage to burn and he also has a professor to scold. Okay. You run. Even with your decreased movement, you'll be able to get out of the compartment before the hound acts. Miss Bellinger, you're continuing down the compartment ways here when you hear a voice in your ear. <gasps> and it says, come here into this compartment. I need your help. Is there, I'm assuming there's a compartment like next to me. Yes, there is right next to you. Yeah, I'll pop I'll pop in there. You see a deeply wounded Comte. His clothes are not in the best repair anymore. He's sort of lounging against the bed here. If he could be paler than he normally would be, he 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 would be. And he has a um a hand, an arm stretched out towards you. Mm-hmm. See the, the lace around the sleeve. And he says, I, I need you, Marguerite, come to me. But uh, what did you, what did you do? What did you do to everyone on this train? I thought you were just going to go after my companions and I, I didn't know you'd do this. They're all, they're all ants anyway. They don't matter. They're just people. I need something from you. No. What? You see his viscids change and you see something you've never seen before. The beautiful and rather immaculate appearance of Comfenelique changes into something ghoulish and nasty and slightly green. He has no nose. There is simply an open socket. He has no upper lip. And you see the fully exposed rows of stained teeth. And he becomes this horrifying monster for you visually for the first time. And he springs out at you to grapple you. I would like to dodge if possible. Uh, it is totally possible for you to dodge. I would like to attempt to dodge. Nope. 86. That's with my disadvantage. So, uh, and luckily for you, he was not successful in his attack. He leaps at you and he, you manage to move out of the way and he slams into the, the wall nearby. And you see his once elegant hands have been replaced by long sort of spindly fingers and and long nails and he with a frustration breaks the side of the wall here and says stop playing with me girl you have something I need and I am taking it it's your action Miss Miss Ballinger yeah Maggie's pretty terrified at this point I mean I am of two minds where I have these friends that I like but also I'm batshit crazy so, and in love with the, a monster now is apparent that it's a monster. And so she's really torn and conflicted, but also absolutely terrified right now. And I think she, her initial action would just be to go for the door. 
and see if she can get out of this compartment. Okay. You go for the door. You will act first. So you run. Which way are you running? Are you running towards the back of the train or towards the front of the train? You were originally heading towards the back of the train. I'll continue the left and back of the train. Okay. You run. And as you run, you are going to get to the end of the compartment. You hear his frustrated scream, this growling version of your name. And it feels like every single letter is like a knife in the back of your head. He is screaming at you from beyond immortality. And you're terrified now. Damn straight I am. So, Mr. Fraser and Lady Elizabeth, you hear so many screams and so many different calls in sort of this one compartment that you walk from one end to the other end. It's a little hard to understand what's going on. It feels like a... It sort of feels like a a terror house that you're in the middle of. People are screaming on one end, and then you hear a shotgun noise. You don't know where that comes from. And as you make your way further down this compartment, which doesn't look like it's had anybody killed in it, the first one you've been in that doesn't look like it hasn't been killed in it, you hear from behind, you hear bestial noises. And then very clearly on the air, you hear Miss Bellinger's name get called. And that does not sound like a dog. He's back there. We've got to keep going. Faster. Hi. You begin to hustle as best you can, and you get to the end of this compartment. And when you push aside the door to move to the next one, it's really the compartment there that when you get in, you see the back end of this blue shape. And at the far end of this car, it looks like part of the car is on fire. What? Hold your breath. Yeah, this is very clearly on fire when you enter it. And it isn't but more than a few seconds, then that blue shape disappears. Into the smoke? Into the Maybe it was into the smoke. Maybe you lose sight of it near one of the compartment spaces. Right. Well, I've still got my Lupara. I am going to make sure it's loaded. Mm-hmm. You pass some rather unfortunate individuals in this car as well. No sand rolls, but the Orient Express, well, one of the guards on the Orient Express is face down here, and he's losing blood. You don't know if he's savable, but all the blood loss is is coming from his head area. It absolutely breaks Fraser's heart to have to leave these men and women lying, dying, but there's something more important to do. Otherwise, everyone might be dead. Richard, you joined the dining car in a really bad state, having been shot twice. And you see a, a whole mass of people in here who are huddled against the walls or, or desperate to stay out of the way. Uh, there's a train guard in here who helps you into the compartment and says, uh, just, just t- take a place along the, on the, the back of the wall, please, sir. Uh, we, we, we must continue. There's, a, there's something coming. You, 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 you go ahead. I'll, I'll stay here. Yes, I, you should follow me. Where are you headed, Richard? Just he, He's just going to the back of the train. He doesn't know why. Mm, okay. Away from the blue thing. Away from the blue thing. Simon, you catch up with Richard a few moments later, as it doesn't take terribly long for you to get where you're going. So, question. There is at least one car that I ran into before I get to the dining car with Richard. And are there any guards in there? There are not, no. There are some dead people, but there are no guards. By the time you reach the car where Richard's at in the dining car, you will have left your bout. Does Simon have time to start the car on fire before he gets to the dining car while he's still in his bout? Oh, sure. Absolutely. You want to start that car on fire, too? Yes. Yeah, shouldn't take you very long. The key thing is, is you did say it looked like it slowed it down. And so Simon does take that as destroying reality is slowing down this unreal creature. And so Simon's going to do that, zip into the car and say, be prepared to burn stuff. It makes it go slower. We have to get away. 
You get a whole lot of weird looks. You got alcohol here, don't you? I mean, you're in the dining car. Yes, there's alcohol. There's a bar there at the end of the room. Burn everything and get keep moving back. It's bad. C- can one of you disconnect any of the cars from the rest of the train? <laughs> you get a really strange look from the Orient Express guard who's there. Disconnect the train? No. But, but, look, you have to understand. I mean, I know you don't believe me now, but when something shiny blue and, and evil as hell comes through that wall, you're going to thank me for doing this. Lady Elizabeth and, and Fraser, you are able to make it through that car and into the next one. Again, the one that is now, I guess, very, very lightly on fire. Lighter lighter on fire than the one we were in previously. As people continue to make their way towards the back, eventually what will happen is, is that the investigators will find themselves in that dining car and back. The sort of last hope, the last public hope anyway, they have to stock up on anything, food, etc., resources, because the cars behind that are the Furloin, the one in the back, and then we'll just say the um, the caboose, as it were, which is really more like a, a shortened version of a passenger car that has a few places to put some things. Are there any bodies here or in the car right before I get into the dining car? Mm, no. But getting into the dining car, you see a lot of scared people and and. Simon is here with a shotgun. Oh, no. It looks like one of the Orient Express staff, like rail guard shotguns. So Richard's here as well, yeah? He would be, likely trying to get into the car back behind the dining car, which is locked and attended to by staff. And if the professor gets too close, he's probably been hit with a broom. How? Go on. Get away from the door. Fraser, we need to get back there. I know, I know, I know. Simon, Richard, I don't know what's happening back there. The, the place is on fire. There's this thing is after us. We have to get into the front line. We have to find the to see if there's some chest or cask or something. Destroy it. Why? What good is that? That's, I can't. There's no time to explain. Don't worry about it. We have things to do. Uh, did, did you see the dog? Yes, we saw the whatever it was, Simon. How'd you get past it? It's still there. It's, it doesn't matter. We don't have time. We can discuss your, what would you call, haint dog later. That haint dog is scaring the living bejesus out of me. I'm already pulling Fraser away from Simon because we have to figure out how to get back there. <laughs> Simon's talking too much. <laughs> Professor, w- w- let's run. Everybody get out of the damn car. Simon, there's nowhere for them to go. Just come on. Help me get in the back. If we, All right, let's go. But if we pull out the pin on one of these cars, you know, it'll disconnect and maybe the hate dog won't follow. Just so you're all aware, there is a member of staff that is standing in front of this door, having watched Professor Courtney, like, attempt to get in the door while it was locked. And that person has roundly told him to go back and sit down. I'm going to stand in front of him and say, Sir, we require access to the uh, the rear carriage here immediately, and I will brook no argument. I am going through. I have a key. I am going to use it, and I am going to go through there. If you try to stop me, sir, we will have words. Okay, so... I'd like to try and intimidate, if I may. You could make an intimidate roll, certainly. Because the time for persuasion and charm is long past. I'm not particularly intimidating, but I'm quite cross. And that's a successful intimidate roll. 27 under 36. That's resisted by what? Psychology? That's 63. That's not going to help this person at all. Wait, no, it's a 69. Nice. That's also a failure. So you um, basically browbeat this member of staff, something that um, Professor Courtney was not able to do. Something I've got plenty of experience of, of browbeating members of staff. Yeah, eventually they cower from you and they head back to the bar and tell you that you're not, no one's supposed to go in there. Help those people. Go on. And I'll try to find the right key to open the door. All right. You put the key in, you in, insert it into the lock and you begin to accelerate the lock over. And as you accelerate the lock over, all the lights in the dining car go out. 
And that is where I'll leave you at the end of this episode of Horror on the Orient Express. Our time to arrival in Constantinople looms very large. And I hope you're enjoying this experience through Act 5 of our story. We greatly appreciate your listening ears. Thank you, and good night.